two receivers right. Manning back to throw. Steps up. Deep ball down the middle of the field. He's got Cruz. 35, 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, Giants! 73 yards! What is up, Football Nation? It is the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters Podcast, episode number 25, October 23rd, 2012. Very excited to be here today. Got a great guest for you today. One of the greatest guests, really, that (laughs) anyone could ever book for a podcast like that, and we'll talk more about it in a second. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves today, I want to look back and thank James Walker from the AFC East blog on ESPN.com for being on the podcast last week. And we've been kind of mentioning to you the last few weeks that it's much easier now to find our previous work on the Football Nation website by clicking on the podcast tab at the top of the homepage, footballnation.com, and you can find our episode with James Walker from last week, which I thought was going to do a little bit better than it did. guess maybe AFC East fans are pissed at their teams and don't want to hear about <laughs> how, me- average, they how are. average and yeah. mediocre uh, they are. But um, welcome to the show. Uh, we got three things today. We're going to get into that in a minute. Uh, Carrie J. Byrne, who is our boss, which the is boss. why I was talking about how great he was a second ago. Uh, is going to be on the show, and he is also, besides being our boss, he's the main man over at coldhardfootballfacts.com. And since it seemed like it was starting to be a theme to try to figure out who teams really are, you know, are these teams really playoff contenders, or are they a joke, or what? Instead of just trying to figure that out with the basic numbers that we know, why not bring in an expert who studies football from a statistical point of view and try to find out maybe the quote unquote saber metrics of the NFL so far? Right. You know, the money, football money ball. You know, where, what, what teams can make a statistical claim that they actually are a legitimate Super Bowl contender? And that is a really great question when you talk about the AFC because they only have three teams with winning records. I mean, it's, in my opinion, hard for a team to say, look, we're going to make the Super Bowl and you don't have a winning record. Right. So does that mean that there's only three Super Bowl teams in the AFC? I don't know. We'll find out when we talk uh, to Kerry J. Byrne. We're going to close out the show. We have a really interesting email that was actually tweeted to us this week. You can email us anytime at thesportscasters at gmail.com or you can tweet us at sports underscore casters and at Scotty B 34 chose to uh, tweet us this week and we're going to answer that question later. And then of course we'll close the show uh, with one more thing. So let's get going. Let's get started and kick things off like we do every week with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Real quick, before we get on to the sports-related portion, uh, during that, that little bumper we have there for the three things, the intro there, between our brilliant dialogue is dialogue from the movie Step Brothers, if you haven't right. seen it. Uh, it's hilarious. Funny scene. Well, my wife's a uh, music teacher, and at school the other day... Somebody what, put their nutsack on drums? <laughs> no, that didn't no. happen. Okay, but good. Somebody, I don't know how the conversation came up, she didn't tell me, but somebody made a comment about how someone's voice sounded like a combination between Fergie and Jesus. Mm. And Michelle just said to that student, she goes, she teaches at Catholic schools, she goes, I, I think that might be sacrilegious. And I told, she told me the story at home, and I go, that was a line from Step Brothers. And she goes, "Oh, that would have I would have seemed cooler if I knew that." <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to know. Like, I've I was raised Catholic, been in the Catholic Church, and I've seen photographs of Jesus. Don't know that I've ever heard his voice though. 
No, I, no, there's not a lot of recordings of... Especially singing. Have you ever heard Jesus sing? I have, and I imagine he was he was good, though. Yeah, probably great. All right, so our all first right. thing yeah. this week... Now is... that all the Muslims and Jews and Hebrews have turned off the podcast. <laughs> our first thing this week is our week seven in review. And uh, for anybody out there picking the games, it was an easy week. It seems like... Everything yep. went pretty much according to plan. I think I got one wrong in my picks this week. Yeah, I had one wrong, and it was the stupid Bills. Uh, that was the same for me. I went with them again this week, and really, they, they should have won that game. They were probably the – it's hard to argue they were the better team, like either team. Both, it was two bad teams playing against each other, and one of them had to win. and Whatever, the Bills, a uh, lot of odd coaching decisions, end up losing at the end of the game in a Nate Washington touchdown. And, uh, yeah, so goes their season. You know, it's it's ironic because you're such a big red zone guy, and I know you didn't get a chance to no, sit with out. red zone this yeah. week. It was maybe the greatest week for a red zone. I mean, there was just a lot of really interesting things happening. A lot of really big, huge plays, long touchdowns. Um, the Saints and Buccaneers game, for example, Chris Johnson busted a touchdown run that was really long right. early. Uh, that Victor Cruz clip that we played, long touchdown there. Uh, Adrian Peterson had like a 45-yard run or something that was mixed in there. There was a lot of really long, uh, interesting plays and some really interesting things. Uh, one thing off the top, no surprise, I'm a Saints fan. I want to talk a little bit about that game and the way it ended which was really interesting. And I want to make something clear in case people are a little confused about how the Saints and Bucks game ended. So the Buccaneers basically had first and 10 from the 11 with enough time to have four shots at the end zone. Right. So on the first play, they were incomplete. Second play, they're incomplete. Third and goal, they threw a completion or a catch was made by Vincent Jackson in the back of the end zone, but his left heel came down out of bounds. Clear cut, no doubt about it. So they go on to fourth down. The refs call it right on the field? Refs call it right on the field. Guy was in perfect position, standing right there, incomplete right away. No uh, complaint from Jackson, he knew. So the fourth down play, uh, ball snapped. Freeman kind of waits in the pocket. Nothing there. Rolls to his left. When he leaves the pocket, Patrick Robinson, Saints defensive back, pushes Mike Williams out of the back of the end zone and then walks away from him. As soon as that happens, Freeman sees Williams open, throws him the ball, catch, touchdown. Everyone goes crazy in the stadium. Well, This was an example of the Saints being a very well-coached football team, at least in this aspect. Patrick Robinson said after the game, he's coached that when the quarterback leaves the pocket, there's no more illegal contact, so you can push the wide receiver out of the back of the end zone, and that basically makes him useless because he He can't can't be the the first person to touch the ball once he reestablishes himself with both feet back in. The only way... Patrick Robinson could have been really screwed as if Freeman's pass would have been Tips. deflected a little right. bit because then Williams will be okay. So everything there was called right. There's no gripes. After the game, Greg Schiano, who really has proven he doesn't know the NFL rules compared to college yet, <laughs> uh, was still complaining about a, a couple things. But really an exciting finish and uh, called properly, which was great. One thing I hadn't thought about that play that makes it intelligent not just the push out that's being well coached uh, i believe you said that Deion sanders said after the game we're, you're coached to do that yep just push the guys out of bounds use the defend the the sideline or the end line as an extra defender what's smart to me about it is the way you describe that play and i have seen it but not a, not a lot of replays the player runs away basically from, yeah to go to find someone else to cover well in that respect, it's smart that he's finding someone else to cover, but maybe even more so is Baiting the fact the that he baits the quarterback. He, right. The quarterback looks up, sees a guy wide open in the end zone, and throws it to him. So, I mean, that, that's a really heads-up play by by that defender. When I saw it live, as soon as Mike Williams caught the ball, I said, why did you go away from him? Right. You, ha-, you know, because they had him covered. 
So yeah, uh, that's a great point that he, he kind of baited him there. Great game. NFC East games always seem to be great. Redskins and Giants. Uh, Robert Griffin the third. Just every week it seems like he does something else to just kind of wow us. And late in the fourth quarter, he made a gorgeous, gorgeous pass that he dropped into Santana Moss to give the Redskins lead. The problem is, if there's any time left in the fourth quarter for Eli Manning, you're probably in trouble right now. Especially for the Redskins. Eli Manning has got to be the best fourth quarter quarterback in the league right now. Um, And he found Victor Cruz for a really long touchdown, which we played off the top. I thought that that was a really interesting game. And uh, the Giants, I think if I were to do a power rankings, they might be my number one team right now, just for what they've shown me in the last couple of weeks, the way they handled San Francisco. They did lose on opening night to the Cowboys, and they're going to get a chance this week to avenge that loss. And if they if they do, if they beat the Cowboys and they do so convincingly, I think I'm going to be even more convinced that the Giants are maybe the best team in the NFL right now. Yeah, the crazy thing about that Giants game, too, like you said about Eli's fourth quarter, and uh, Peyton's kind of having the same season, too, with the big fourth quarters, just not the win- all the wins that Eli has, is from a fantasy perspective, I was watching Eli's numbers, and they were very pedestrian, if not poor, up until the fourth quarter. And then you look at the, the game's over, and he's got 350-ish yards and a TD. And yeah, 337 yards. He had a TD pass. He had a couple of picks, but... I mean, it was looking like a, like a bad day from right. a fantasy perspective to start, and all of a sudden he turns it around, they win the game. Granted, a lot of that play has to do with just really what were the Redskins doing. I Victor mean, Cruz beat, beat the secondary straight up with a double move. As Tuesday Morning Quarterback likes to say, if you've ever read any of his articles on ESPN. Greg Easterbrook. Greg Easterbrook, yep. Uh, it's the end of the game. They have to go 80 yards. Three deep. How zone. do you how do you let him Don't behind let you? anyone over right, the top? Right, and they did exactly that. Poor safety play. Victor Cruz is great at running away from people. The Houston Texans avenge their loss to the Green Bay Packers by destroying the Ravens, forty-three to thirteen. Yeah, that didn't even seem fair. Uh, just a blowout, really, from start to finish. It was twenty-nine to three at the half. It'll be interesting to see how the Ravens respond to that game because it's it would it would be easy to see that coming a little bit. They lose their emotional leader in Ray Lewis the week before. Uh, Perfect time for them to have a bye. Right. And Regroup. they get the best team in the AFC, if not the league, on, on the, the road. road. Who needs to rebound at home after, after an embarrassing being game. Right. So, I mean, it just... Perfect storm, maybe, there. Right. The worst time for Baltimore. So, it'll be interesting to see how they respond. They get Cleveland in two weeks. Uh, Joe Flacco. Another back-to-back kind of bad weeks for Yeah, him. less than 50% completion percentage. Less than 150 yards passing. 3.4 yards on average. I mean, just really, really poor numbers for him, too. And he's a guy who wants to get paid, right? Yeah, he's the guy that's self-proclaimed the best in the league, right? I mean, I guess you want your guy to feel that way, but boy. 45.4 quarterback. We rate. talked to Kerry briefly about the Ravens later. I don't know how they hold on. I mean, luckily for them, that division is in a bit of disarray, and Pittsburgh is also beaten up with injuries, but... And they got a game-and-a-half head start on Pittsburgh, I guess, if you count the bye. But, boy, that, that's a bad division. It's a very average division all of a sudden. A couple other quick hitters. The 49ers took control of the NFC West by beating the Seahawks at home in kind of a snooze fest of a game, 16-3. to That was last Thursday. Yeah, and after blowing out two teams, the Bills and uh, was it the Jets the week before, they've only put up – 20 or so points the, the two weeks following that. Their offense has to kind of find themselves a little bit. I mean, that defense seems for real still. Suddenly, and wins are wins. Alex but, Smith has come back to yeah, Alex yeah. Smith a little bit. Yep. He's not playing at that top level that we've seen for him for the last you know season and six games or so. Last couple, he's fallen back. The Vikings continue their surprising season, and they did so with getting nothing out of Christian Ponder. Right, so maybe that that might even be a decent sign, though. I mean, you don't want to see... I pick on Joe Flacco for having a couple of bad weeks, but I guess in Ponder's case, he's a young guy. You're going to expect him to have a couple of bad weeks. They managed to win that game. Because they gave the defense. ball to Adrian, yep. Yep. So to see... And they beat a, a solid... I mean, a team that probably isn't as good as their record, but they beat a solid opponent 
No joke of a team. Right. So, I mean, that, that's an interesting team in Minnesota. Yeah, so congratulations for Vikings fans. Um, the Patriots just can't hold a fourth-quarter lead, but they got away with it this week, winning in overtime. And by the way, I absolutely love the way the overtime rules are in the NFL yeah. now. The, I just, the Saints I rule. Just, <laughs> I just love it. Yeah, the Saints rule changed after the Saints won the um, NFC Championship game. Because the NFL wanted Favre to be in the Super Bowl. Right, right yeah. Right. Too bad for them. Uh, what else? Maurice Jones drew. Yeah, I was just going to say Jacksonville. Jacksonville season is done. Uh, yeah. It's not sounding like it's it, not an ACL or anything. No, like that. but it sounds like he's going to miss at least a week and maybe more. And uh, they're losing games to Oakland. And I mean that's a bad team to begin with. But I think if last year was suck for luck, I think they're on a nice track to suck for Barkley or whoever Gino else. Smith. Uh, the Bengals were. Three and one a minute ago, and uh, <laughs> they have lost three straight games to Miami, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, th- look at—they've lost nine straight games to Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Okay, so that's not maybe one that you'd expect them to win. They lost at home to Miami, on the road to Cleveland, and at home to Pittsburgh. And now they pl- they have a bye week, and then they play Denver and the Giants. So they could be a team that easily goes from three and one to three and six. So I'd be really nervous if I was a Bengals fan. Um, the Steelers showing that, hey, maybe we can win our division. Probably they're thinking now. Still a little bit behind the Ravens, but still two games against them. And we just talked about how many important and the pieces Ravens the Ravens are missing. Are missing yeah. a lot of important pieces. And then maybe to close out, unless you have anything else, the game last night. Uh, the Bears just basically lulled the yeah. Lions to sleep. It seemed like the Bears' defense looks like you expect the Bears' defense to be. I mean, monsters in the midway, playing like monsters in the midway this season. Uh, not a great game from Jay Cutler or anything like that, but he didn't need to be. No. He made the throws that he needed. He got his defense a lead, and then they just sucked the life out of the Lions. And Matthew Stafford really struggled. I mean, he ended up with 261 yards passing, but he also had 46 attempts, you know, because they just were throwing the entire third and fourth quarter trying to get back into the game. And 13-7, to it wasn't that close. The Lions got a garbage time touchdown in the last 30 seconds of the game. Yeah, and the Lions kind of, it was a closer game. I mean, I know you said that it was a garbage time touchdown, so you're talking a 13-point game at that point, but if LaShore and Bell was the other running back, I believe. Bell is the one who fumbled, they stretching both, the ball. They both fumbled, and Bell fumbled like on the one the goal line, inch yep. stretching mark the ball. There. Yep. It might have been a different game. They actually ran fairly well against uh, Chicago, but they had to get away from it a little bit. The only thing I'll say that really isn't on my sheet or anything like that is I know as a Bills fan I'm supposed to hate Miami, but Buffalo's been mediocre so long it's hard to hate anybody. I'm interested to see what the Dolphins do coming out of this bye. I think they're a team that they has a solid defense. If they can get anything out of Tannehill, if Reggie Bush can return to the form he was the first couple weeks of the season, they might be a good good enough team to squeak into a wild card. It's just not a good AFC at all this year. Every year it's been, if you're not going to win the division, you're going to fight with Baltimore or Pittsburgh or Baltimore or Pittsburgh are going to take the wild card. One's going to win the division. And then there's only one wild card spot. I think that could be Miami. And like we said, Pittsburgh and Baltimore, one of them might not make the playoffs. And we mentioned on the show last week, what a great first four games Miami has coming out of the bye. They travel to MetLife stadium to play the jets this week. Then they play the Colts. Then they host the Titans and then they play the bills on a Thursday night. So, I mean, they have four winnable games. Yep. So. I, th- I think they could be could be a pretty solid team, uh, relatively to the, how, just how bad the AFC is. Imagine if the Dolphins are seven and three in a month. If they, crazy. I mean, if they had f- find a way to win all four of those winnable games, get to see more of. Uh, That'd be interesting. Lauren Tannehill, hopefully then. Yeah, Mrs. Tannehill, looker. Yep. All right. All right. My second thing this week is our long first thing as usual. Uh, Tim Tebow trademarks Tebowing. Uh, if you, you know, like planking was a big thing on the internet. Yeah. There was like little offshoots like owling. Well, T-bowing became big is where you drop to one knee, put your hand like on, kind of like the thinker, but you're praying instead. Well, he did it supposedly. Uh, 
He didn't do it for the money. Oh, no, of course He says not. he just wants to control the way it's used and to make sure it's used in the right way. <laughs> what is the right way to use t didn't. He didn't go on to say that. Uh, it does say at the end of this article from USA Today, Tebow, a devout Christian, said his representatives filed on his behalf not for financial gain, though Tebow said any money he might make on the move in the future would go to his charity, the Tim Tebow Foundation. So now, are we talking about actually getting down? Yes. That's what he has trademarked, trademarked not the Tebow. word. The, the move in which he goes down on one knee and holds a clenched fist against his forehead while praying. I, I don't know how you monetize an action, but uh, there you go. He so basically, he, he doesn't want... Him. The cover of Playboy in a month to have some to be some girl t-bowing. That's what he's trying to prevent, essentially. I have no idea. It doesn't get into that. I'm not sure how someone would do use it inappropriately. (laughs) Let's say a stripper. I don't want to get too blue here. Okay. But let's say a stripper is t-bowing on stage. Okay. And guys are tipping her. Okay. Can Tebow's representatives bust into the club and demand that she gets out of the pose? I, I don't know because couldn't the girl just claim it's like parody? Like, because parody is protected. That's why, like, The Simpsons can make fun of, and South Park can make fun of people, and SNL people. Right. Like, I I have no idea how he monetizes this or Strange what moves, he Tammy. does with it. Strange moves, Maybe Tammy. nobody can make a t shirt with, like, a silhouette of him Tebowing and make money off of it. Maybe focus on getting in the game and. <laughs> yeah. Doing something. This poor guy, playoff winning quarterback to uh, a guy filing a, lawsuits. Yeah, he's a punt. He's a punt team block like protector. He's a punt team decoy. Yes, he's out there. So the fear of a fake punt is in the mind of the other team on every. And they punt. have fakes a couple and times. Worked it. It, wor- it worked at least once. That's, I don't know if it's worth all the hype. Probably not. But all right, Timmy, there it is. All right, my second thing today. As the bounty gate turns, oh could boy. have been a great soap opera. Uh, it was, I didn't mention it when we were going over the games, but Jonathan Vilma played his first game of the season as the Saints activated him from the PUP list. This is where everything stands. There's been a hearing called for October 30th uh, to potentially resolve this. That means that Vilma... Will Smith, Fajita, and Hargrove are all eligible to play this week. Fajita is still injured with a neck injury that might cost him his career. Hargrove still isn't on a team. So we're really only talking about Will Smith and Vilma here. So the league has gone all through all of this, essentially for two players. And that new meeting is going to be headed by the former commissioner, not the current commissioner. So essentially, Roger Goodell has stepped away from this and appointed Paul Tagliabue right. as the lead arbitrator for the league. Jonathan Vilma said he's pleased with that, but his team wants Tagliabue to somehow prove that he isn't biased. The NFLPA wants that, right? Right. Which, so, I, again, do I don't know do how that? you do that. Oh, man. I don't know if he's just supposed to say, no, 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 really, I'm not biased. I don't know if he has to take a polygraph test. I don't know if Tony Soprano is going to stick a gun to his head and he's got to answer that. I don't know. He's got to prove he, what, rooted for the Saints in the Super Bowl or no, because then he'd be biased. The other. How do you prove non-bias? You don't. This whole thing has gotten to a point where it's ridiculous, and there's a rumor out there that the owner of the Saints is considering asking the commissioner to reconsider Sean Payton's suspension. Wow. So this to say this has gotten away from the league a bit might be an understatement. Here's what you do if you're Roger Goodell. I'm not a Saints fan. I'm not a Saints hater by any means either. If you have proof, make it public. Yep. You can make these guys look bad in the public eye. Maybe they back off a little bit. Maybe the NFLPA backs off a little bit. If if you have this proof, you should have years of proof. You spent years not doing anything about this, building a case, apparently, for this moment. Why he 
is not bringing any of this proof forward. It really feels like the NFL knows they don't have appropriate proof, but they don't want to give up on this because of the effect that it could have on them in the 3,000 lawsuits. lawsuits. It seems more and more like the the NFL is making decisions to try to protect themselves against potential litigation that could bring down the golden goose. Yeah. It, we talked about it last week with the story of Javid Best and how no one will clear him to play. And why not? Because he says he doesn't have any symptoms. Yeah. This is – it's interesting, like you said, in terms of the soap opera of it all, but it's turning into an Apple versus Samsung thing where they're just kind of slap fight yeah. back and forth until it just – goes away or i don't know i don't know what the end game is here for either side uh the end game probably is he just next august and everything's just done right right you know what i mean it kind of feels to me like it's just gonna drag out to the point i mean if you think about it joe vitt's back right so his suspension's over in two weeks mickey loomis is gonna be back yep his suspension will be over and before you know it, the season's going to be over. Sean Payton's suspension's going to be over. And Vilma's suspension wasn't over this week, but he played because they appealed it or whatever. So, I mean, it's just going to be a back and, and forth. And we're talking about happens. two players. Yep. The other two are not in your league anymore. Right. If they did something wrong, prove it. If they didn't, back off. Back off. Uh, we we're going along a little bit. The music stopped. My last thing this week, uh, real quickly, the Colts – win over the Browns, and during that game, at some point, Chuck Pagano was released from the hospital, so that was nice to hear. Jim Ursay apparently told the team in the locker room after the game, so good for them. I think the Colts are a pretty easy team to cheer for this year. Yeah, very easy to cheer for, especially if you can get past the bizarreness of Mr. Ursay <laughs> uh, and his kind of wackiness on Twitter, but yeah. yeah, Andrew Luck is cool. You know, we talked last week about how Reggie Wayne finally won a AFC player, AFC of the player of the week award, and he's a guy who I, I've never heard one bad thing about him. Right, and ter- you know how wide receivers can be. Yeah, uh, and he just doesn't fit there. So I agree. Uh, my last thing is a short thing too. We don't do a lot of college football on this show, but I'm sure if you want more college football information as part of the Football Nation family, you can go to collegefootballgeek.com. A uh, great place for information about college football. I just wanted to mention the coolness of Oklahoma playing Notre Dame this weekend. First of all, I want to commend Bob Stoops and the Oklahoma family for being willing to schedule a home-and-home with a team like Notre Dame because as the B- in the BCS era, and hopefully with when we get to the playoff and the potential, uh, the potential focus on strength of schedule, this will change. But, Don, can you name a really interesting non-conference college football game this year? No. No, because you're not a big college football fan, and there really hasn't been one. Right. So it's so awesome that Oklahoma and Notre Dame, two of the storied college football programs, are playing each other this week. It's at 8 o'clock on ABC to the whole country. Brent Musburger is calling the game with Kirk Herbstreet. College football game day is going to be in Norman uh, for their show. People who watch that show with Lee Corso, and he's either going to put a Sooner (laughs) hat on or a Notre Dame hat or whatever he does, that goofiness. I just think it's really cool, and I'm really excited for the game. And I think even if you don't love college football – but you appreciate the history of football. It's a great night for that. So and I yeah, just and the other thing to mention too, eight o'clock and it, they're both top 10 teams. That's what I was going to say. This is kind of like a, well, no, no crap point, but they're both good. Yeah. Like, they're both in the top 10 for them to both schedule. So Oklahoma plays in Notre Dame next year then, or this is yes. okay. Yep, so so next home year. and home. Yeah. So for both of them to agree to play a solid team is Something right. in and and Notre is, Dame being an independent, they kind of have to do that because right. you know but their they need schedule to, is is brutal this year. Notre Dame, yeah. I mean, they've I would have thought they would have had a loss or two by now. 
Uh, I mean, they could lose to Oklahoma this weekend. They have USC still at the last week yep. of the season. They've already beaten Michigan, 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 Michigan State. State, and Stanford, who are all ranked at the time. So, like you said, if they don't have a conference, they have to do something like that. But it's not like they schedule all Division two teams to play against right. and stomp on. Right. So uh, it's going to be great. I mean, it's just it's what college football is about. The two two of the most storied programs of all time playing on Saturday night with Brent Musburger calling the game on ABC two top 10 teams national championship implications so check it out it it will be worth it Uh, we're going to take a break and come back with Kerry J. Byrne Our guest today is from Quincy, Massachusetts, and is a graduate of Boston College. He has created the revolutionary cold, hard football facts concept and is the nation's foremost authority on the gridiron lifestyle of beer, food, and football. He is making his second appearance on the Sportscasters and Football Nation podcast. A warm welcome to the boss, Carrie J. Byrne. Carrie, Gentlemen, how, how you doing? You know, you could make history by firing us if you wanted. <laughs> it would probably. You know, uh, <laughs> what would be a great uh, PR stunt to uh, to make this make this go viral? You know what I mean? That, yeah, that, well, that, that might be it. Yeah, I mean, I was also going to dance naked on the episode, but I think, <laughs> I think firing you would be better. <laughs> yeah, first ever, first ever podcast firing. You know, mid podcast, and then the end of it would just be us kind of like crying and saying goodbye and thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> well, well, listen, man, I, I'm I'm glad you guys had me on, and uh, if folks are listening to this and haven't uh, listened to all your other podcasts, you guys really get great guests. You do great interviews. I'm really glad to have you guys a part of the, the Football Nation family, and uh, hope what you guys do continues to grow. And honestly, I'm honored that you guys have me on it because you guys have really. Uh, you know, great guests. I mean, with A-list, big-time guests from the football world. So it's uh, humbling that you let me be a part of it, Steve and Don. Well, we really wanted to have you on because a big theme of what we've been talking about last week and this week is how this year, maybe more than any other year I can remember, it's really hard to judge a team just by looking at their record. I mean, so many teams, especially if you look at the AFC, who has, what, two teams with winning record or whatever. Three now. Three, yeah. Three. Uh, It's hard to say which of these teams are contenders or pretenders, to use kind of a football cliche. So one of the main reasons we wanted to bring you in is because you at Cold Hard Football Facts and your staff look at this from a different way with your quality stats and... We want to get kind of a better picture for the listeners of where some teams are at. So let's start with the AFC. Well, Steve, do you mind, do you mind if we interject just yeah, two, go ahead. Go ahead. two stats that support what you're saying about what an odd year this has been? There are two very strong indicators. One, uh, if, you look at, if you look at the Vegas lines, now I think everyone agrees that the the, the wise guys, the guys that set the Vegas lines, right? Yep. These guys are good, right? Very and good. They, very good. They're, what makes them good? Not so much that they get the score accurate. They they really they very rarely nail the margin of victory. They're vastly overrated in that capability. Uh, it really ever happens. In fact, like uh, a very like like single percentage point uh, throughout history that they get the final margin of victory correct. That's not what they're good at. What they're good at is judging public sentiment and who's going to pick what team. And what they're good at is identifying underdogs who consistently win 52% against the spread. That is the genius of the wise guys, that the underdogs consistently through the decades hit about 52% against the spread. This year, right now, on pace to be the greatest year ever for underdogs against the spread. And the NFC right now, underdogs through Week 7 are hitting 83% against the spread. Wow. The previous record is 62%. Back in 1980, AFC underdogs hit 62% against the spread. This year, we're looking at NFC underdogs hitting 83%. Even the wise guys in Vegas are having trouble figuring out what's going on, guys. That's pretty remarkable data. 
And then, then to bring it to our cold hard football facts quality stats, our best predictor of victory is a relativity index. It predicts winners in about 70% of all NFL games. Two weeks ago, in week six, it went 4-10 and ten picking winners, <laughs> straight-up winners. It's worst record it, it, since 2004. It always picks over half the games right all by itself and went 4-10 and ten in week six. So kind of an, a weird year with a lot of statistical anomalies when even the Vegas guys are, are really uh, missing the boat on what's going on in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And we talked to James Walker, the AFC East blogger, for ESPN.com last week to try to figure out the AFC East because at the time, everybody in the division was 3-3. Three and three. What, obviously, it seems like New England is the class of that division, but we've seen some strange things from New England this year. The way that they're not protecting leads and the way that they're losing games to teams like the Arizona Cardinals, who, yes, they're having a good season this year, but you just don't expect things like that from the Patriots. When you look at the Patriots and you study them with your quality stats, what what conclusions can you make about them? Well, the, the Patriots are not so much a mystery. The Patriots are pretty easy to figure out. Uh, the Patriots have the worst defense and the worst pass defense in franchise history. It's simple as that. It's no more complex than that. And as you guys know, I'm here in Boston and listen to the sports radio guys, and I'm on with a lot of them. A lot of the sports radio guys are good to us, but uh, people are wringing their hands about the offense, you know, not making first downs late in games, which, you know, there's some legitimate criticisms there, but regardless, the Patriots right now have the worst pass defense in franchise history, a 99 defensive passer rating. No team has ever won a ch- only three teams have won a championship with a defensive passer rating worse than 80, okay? You need a good pass defense to win championships. The Patriots right now are, are, are terrible, a terrible pass defense. They're, they're on pace to give up 37 touchdown passes this year. The record in one season is 38 by the 1969 St. Louis Cardinals. This is a historically bad pass defense, uh, and that's, that's the problem with them. It's, it's no more complex than that. They, they've been drafting defenders. They can't, either can't find the right talent, can't coach them up, can't put in the right schemes, whatever it is. So that's, a, that's the problem in the, in the case of, New England, and then of course you know uh, uh, Stephen Guskowski missing a last-second field goal against right. the Cardinals back yep. in Week Two. It was the first time the Patriots lost a game on a missed field goal since 1999. So, so you know, Comer has been very good to the Patriots over the years, and you know that was kind of a, that was kind of an anomaly. But the reality is they're they're lucky to be four and three with their defense so bad. And if not for the Tom Brady and the number one scoring offense in football, we're talking we're talking a, a one-win, two-win defense right now. Is there a team in the AFC East that can legitimately challenge them over the long haul of the season? Uh, well, you know, I think the Jets show they can, right? I mean, you know, the, the Jets uh, uh, went toe-to-toe in, in New England, and, and there's no reason to think they can't put up a better fight uh, when, they, when they go to New York later in the year. I think they're playing uh, in November. I think they're playing uh, next, actually Thanksgiving night, now that I recall. That's correct. Uh, I, sh- yeah. I should know these things, so... You know, Thanksgiving night, a lot of emotion in New York. Is that a game the Patriots are a lot to win? I, I, I don't think so. And the Jets' schedule is not, not so tough, guys. I'm looking at it right now. Miami this week, you know, a tough divisional battle. Seattle and St. Louis, two tough games. The NFC West tough this year. But then the Patriots, uh, the Jaguars, the Titans, the Chargers, the Bills. A lot, of, a lot of winnable games in that schedule for the Jets. Now, the AFC as a whole, we kind of got focused on the AFC East a little bit there off track, but the first thing I said was how it has these three teams with winning records, Houston at six and one, Baltimore at five and two, and New England at four and three. Based on your statistics, who is the best team in the AFC right now? Well the best team in the AFC and the best team in football right now are the Houston Texans. Okay. We have what we call our quality stats power rankings and we size up every team across the board and all our different indicators and our quality stats Power rankings. Houston right now number one across the league, across the you know across the board and all our different indicators. The highest average ranking across the board. And uh, one one I'm excited about that because I picked Houston to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> so right now they're they're living up to to the statistical height. Two, we just saw them dismantle the closest thing they have to competition in the AFC in Baltimore. 
Uh, so that's you know that's pretty good. And by the way, guys, the, the AFC stinks this year. It's a bad year for the AFC. If you want to look at our quality stats power rankings, uh, the bottom eight teams, the bottom nine teams are all in the AFC. It's a, there's only a couple of good teams in the AFC. So Houston's almost guaranteed a, a ride, uh, almost guaranteed a, a cakewalk to the Super Bowl right now, the way I see it. All right, what you just said there brings up two questions for me. One, was the Houston game against Green Bay an anomaly? You know, at, at the time, I, I said it was. Because uh, I, you know, I obviously I expected Houston to win. I thought there was a better team. Green Bay came came out and obviously took, you know, beat, you know, beat them, beat them senseless. Uh, two things at work. I think Houston had a bit of a down game. I think Green Bay, you, you know, they were undefeated at the time. They were five and zero. They could almost, uh, I don't want to say afford to lose, but they could have. They could afford to lose that game against a non-conference opponent. They were playing a very good team that needed to win, that had the weapons to do it, and I think there was a psychological letdown there. And I was confident. That would be a blip on the schedule, and at least if the Baltimore game's any indication, that was a blip on the Houston schedule. The other thing at work here, guys, Green Bay is number two on our quality right, stats right. power rankings across the board. So that's a that team right now is probably better than that record indicates. They just came out of the gate slow, and uh, overall, like I said, the NFC is a superior conference. The NFC, I picked Houston to win the Super Bowl. If I had to reassess it, I'm confident of them getting to the Super Bowl. But right now, I'm not confident of them winning it because right now, clearly, the, the NFC, the senior circuit of the NFL, is clearly the superior conference. All right, the second question I had there was you said that Baltimore was maybe their biggest competitor in the AFC. Do you still think that's true with the injuries? Well, you know, I mean, record-wise, they were. Yeah, I didn't know how much those, those injuries would impact them because – I think the general belief that Ray Lewis was still very good, but not dominant like he used to be, like he used to be. And I don't know how much. He, and then you know, of course, the web injury, uh, Ladarius Webb's injury. But you know, on the on the other side, Terrell Suggs came back for the first time right. uh, all year. And what happened? They gave up 182, 183 yards rushing. It was looked a lot like the defense of the previous two weeks. Let me let me throw out some cold hard football facts. The Ravens, that great Ravens defense has given up over 180 yards rushing 11 times in franchise history, going back to, what, 96, 98, whatever, whatever year it was. They've given up over 180 yards rushing 11 times in franchise history, including each of the last three weeks. Wow. So clearly this defense, by any measure, is not what it used to be. So, uh, I, you know, I think Baltimore had some problems to begin with, and if Joe Flacco doesn't play well, then they were in a they were in a world of hurt. And if you're relying on Joe Flacco to be your franchise quarterback, I think he gets some issues. Now, the second best AFC team in your quality stats power rankings right now is the Denver Broncos. You believe yeah. you believe in them? I mean, you have they have Peyton Manning, who's you know number two league wide in passer rating right now. Anytime you have a highly rated quarterback, you're a threat to to do some damage. So uh, I don't know if I believe in Denver. I still think they have some defensive issues. They're they're three and three overall, but they're zero and three against what we call quality opponents, teams with winning records. I don't think they're going to be there at the end. I think they're good enough to to get into the playoffs and be in the mix, but uh, I don't I don't see them being a a legit team to do to do a lot of damage come come crunch time. And by the way, the proof of that, that, that what we already saw was in was in week two when Houston handled them pretty well. Houston was up, I think, thirty one to eleven in the fourth quarter before the before the. Broncos struck for two a touchdown. So the Texans pretty much manhandled right now the next two teams in the AFC in our quality staff power rankings. You know, a couple of years, or well, it's more than a couple of years. When the Patriots went sixteen and zero, was that two thousand and seven? Yep. Yeah, two thousand and seven. The Patriots went sixteen and zero, and I remember that was a year that I didn't feel like the NFC was that great of a conference, and that was the year that the Giants ended up squeaking into the playoffs and then making a run to the Super Bowl and ultimately winning it. Do you think the AFC is set up this year for a team to just get in to the playoffs and then potentially make a great playoff run because well, of the kind of weak stature of the conference? I, I, don't, I don't see it. I mean, I think if it's going to be anybody, it's going to be Houston. It's possible that the Patriots get hot and lucky with Tom Brady. And make a run, and the defense kind of gets back into that Brent Ben but don't break mode. Uh, other than that, they, 
I really don't see it, Stephen. I, I don't. I think in the case of the Giants, I think the NFC was starting to rise back then. And I think we saw the Patriots uh, blow their you-know-what <laughs> yeah. at the beginning of the season, right? Mm-hmm. And they kind of peaked about week eight, week nine, and, and started to not be as dominant. I mean, still, it's still incredible feat that they went 18-0. and 0, But they clearly, at, by the end of the year, they were squeaking out, toughing out wins. Uh, and the Giants were... Uh, I mean, the Giants, nobody saw it coming. I mean, so maybe something like that happens, but if I was to predict it, no way. But with that said, nobody nobody saw the Giants coming in 07. And by the way, nobody saw the Giants coming last year. For the right. record, the two worst teams statistically in the history of football to win championships, the 2007 and 2011 Giants. <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are complete oddball statistical anomalies in the entire history of football. And I credit that to Tom Coughlin, the best big game coach in football, and and Eli Manning, probably the best clutch quarterback in football. That that combination has allowed that team to do things that nobody else has done before or since in the history of football. Sportscasters and Football Nation are here with Kerry J. Byrne from Cold Hard Football Facts. You can find him on Twitter at Football Facts. Let's talk a little bit about the NFC in the last couple minutes here. A team that I just, I don't know if it's because I this team is uh, the, maybe the main rival of my favorite team, but I just don't by Atlanta. I just feel like they've been really lucky this year. I see on your statistical uh, rankings you have them fifth, which means there's four AFC or NFC teams ahead of them, three NFC teams ahead of them. What are your thoughts uh, on Atlanta in terms of cold hard football facts and what they say about the last undefeated team in the National Football League? And for the record, you are a Saints fan, Stephen. Is that, that correct? That is correct. Yes. <laughs> so uh, is there a little bias in the question? I don't know. There is, yes. <laughs> well, you're man enough to admit it, and I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, Atlanta right now, Matt Ryan playing as well as he's ever played in his career, I think that gives them a, a fighting chance. I mean, you know, it's all about the quarterback, guys. The NFL, people totally overanalyze the NFL. Uh, they try to read too much into things. They, now there's this whole movement, and we do, we do, I think, the best statistical analysis in football, but there's all this movement afoot in the, in the football stat world to get deeper into more minutiae about football, but that's totally meaningless. It's all about one thing. Your quarterback plays better than the other quarterback. You win games. It's no more complex than that. There are many things that go into that uh, factor, but it's really all about the quarterback playing well and better than the other quarterback. And, you know, having Matt Ryan right now gives them a, gives them a fighting chance. Uh, in any game, and makes them a legit threat, and obviously being undefeated carries weight. But with that said, guys, the big issue, okay, I wouldn't say they've been lucky, Stephen. What I would say is that they haven't played anybody. I'm going down the, I'm going down the entire NFL right now. Only two teams have failed to play a single team with a winning record, a quality opponent, as we call them, Atlanta and Pittsburgh. Not, not a single team with a winning record on that schedule. You look at Atlanta's record schedule, the Chiefs, the Broncos, the Chargers, the AFC West is not great. Uh, and remember, they, they got kind of got lucky, if you will, to use your words, picking off Peyton Manning three times in the first quarter of that Broncos game. The Panthers aren't very good. The Redskins uh, have RG3, but are on pace to give up more points than any team in Redskins history, and also on pace to give up more passing yards than any team in the history of football. And the Raiders aren't good. So uh, the Falcons haven't played anybody. It's simple as that. They haven't played anybody. But you know what? There's not a lot of meat on that schedule. The Eagles at Philly uh, this Sunday, that could be tough. But Philly has problems. The Cowboys aren't that great. The Saints aren't that great. Cardinals could be tough. The Buccaneers, you know, they're a mid-level team. The Panthers, the only tough game they have is, is playing the Giants, Giants yeah. in mid-December. And what happened the last time the Giants played the Falcons? The, the Falcons failed to score an offensive point. So we could be looking at a 14-2 team that's not very good. <laughs> You've actually uh, opened my eyes to the fact that maybe <laughs> maybe they have been a little lucky, Steve. Yeah, I, I, I totally think that they have been. I mean, if you just look at that Carolina game where they're playing maybe one of the worst teams in the NFC at home, I mean, Matt Ryan basically threw a just a prayer out of off of his one yard line to force over you know, to avoid overtime. So I You know, I you know, just looking back and I, I hadn't thought about the Falcons with the bye week last week, but just when I just looked at it about the quality standings, with no quality opponents, I uh, this is a bad schedule. I don't see the the only great win they've had is is winning big at San, Di- San Diego by by twenty twenty excuse me by twenty four points, but barely edging out Carolina. 
He's not a great team. Winning at Washington, again, on pace to give up more passing yards than any team in NFL history. And I just wrote about that this week on Sports Illustrated, comparing RG3's greatness to the, to the terrible state of the Washington Redskins defense. So that's not really a great win. And then, you know, edging out the Raiders at home uh, is not a great win either. I mean, there's not a – the only decent win on that schedule is winning at San Diego and then uh, holding on against the Broncos. So, again, not a, not a, they have the potential to be a good team, but are not a great team right now. As we move forward here in the season in the next couple of weeks, as fans, what kind of things should we look for in our teams that would help us understand where they might be as the season progresses? Well, you know, we have three stats that I think if folks want to come to Code Hunt Football Facts and look at our stats, three stats you should look at to really know where your team stands, okay? Uh one is our, is our quality stats power rankings. If you are high on this indicator, you go to the Super Bowl. It's simple as that. And right now, it's Houston, Green Bay, New York, San Francisco. Houston all but assured going to the Super Bowl and the AFC. And then, you know, Green Bay, Giants, 49ers, Falcons, that's a street fight. That's a dog fight in the NFC over who's going to come out, come out of the NFC. And they'll probably be the strong, you know, they'll probably be stronger for it. But look at those quality stats power rankings. It tells you a lot about your team. Look at our relativity index, how well you perform relative to the quality of your competition. Uh, this is the best predictor of victory in football. If you're better in this number, you win 70% of all NFL games. And what it does is adjust. If you have a bad schedule and you, if you're beating up bad teams, this is where you see it wash out. For example, Atlanta, 6-0, but only number 7 relative to the quality of their competition. So, Stephen, that's where you see what you're talking about, that – they may not be that great a team. There's one, two, three, four, four teams in the NFC alone better relative to the quality of their competition. And then the mother of all stats, passer rating differential. We track all this at Cold Hard Football Facts. Uh, it just subtracts your defensive passer rating from the offensive passer rating. And if you're very good in this number, you have a very good shot of winning the Super Bowl. 70% of all NFL champions finish in the top three and pass the rating differential, which is why we call it the mother of all stats. I'm curious where your rankings have Seattle, because if you're talking about wins over quality opponents, they've beaten Green Bay and New England, but both of those games were probably they were a bit fortunate to come out with wins, particularly the Green Bay game. Oh, who are you talking about, John? I'm sorry? Se- Seattle. Yep. Where, where does – are they for real? Are they 4-3? and three? Are they better than that? I know their defense is pretty solid. I mean, their defense is great. They're not for real because they don't have a for real quarterback. I mean, that's what it comes down right. to. You're not, you know, except for, you know, Russell Wilson had a great game against the Patriots. And obviously that Green Bay game, guys, I mean, right. you know, I mean, it was, it was what it was. It was a weird game that ended in controversial fashion. And, uh, you know, not a, not, a particularly, not, not a particularly great sign that this team's for real. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna be there at the end. And in fact, they may not even make the playoffs, despite having two pretty decent wins. I'm just going through some of their numbers right now as we're talking. And you know, Seattle, number eight in our quality stats power rankings, two and two against quality opponents. So they've had, you know, four games against pretty decent teams. They've had a tough schedule, but without a quarterback putting up elite numbers, you don't really go very far in the playoffs. And I don't see that defense being good enough to to maintain this team long-term, uh, you know, through the playoffs. And by the way, can I, can I throw something out there, guys? Yeah, do it. About the Golden Tate touchdown, you know, we're talking about yeah, the uh, Seahawks Packers. <laughs> yeah. We had, a, we had we, Captain Kazma, who's, uh, Scott Kazma, who's Captain Comeback at Cold Hot Football Facts, did a great story after that game tell, telling everyone why that was a legit touchdown. Mm. Totally going against public sentiment. Guys, that story went nuts viral. Almost 7,000 likes on Facebook. I uh, just lit up the Internet that uh, our, our, our take on, and we still have it on the homepage, Golden Tate's touchdown was legit. And if you want some good reading, if you want a uh, uh, kind of a contrarian take on the most controversial play in football this year and in quite some time, check out that story. You might come away saying, wait a minute, maybe, maybe that was a touchdown. The ITS might have said otherwise, but a really, really great uh, piece of analysis that I think uh, highlights the type of work we try to do at Cold Hard Football Facts. All right, well, I mentioned that the listeners can find you at Football Facts on Twitter, but there's probably a lot more that you want to get out there in terms of where the fans should go to find more about what they heard on this interview if they're interested 
in being a more educated football fan? Uh, you know, I mean, just just on the cold hearted football nation side, or just throw out whatever you want to throw out there that will connect our <laughs> listeners to you. Well, you know what? I'd invite listeners if they want the real deep, juicy stuff uh, to go to Cold Hard Football Facts and and check out Insider, our Insider Picks and Trends button. That's where we put the real, the real juicy stuff, Stephen Don. Uh, it's we have what we have in there is Spreadopedia, which is our database of every score, point spread, over underline since 1978. On a very easy to search database. If you wanna, if you wanna know any point spread trend, if you want an edge on Sunday, picking winners and losers. In the NFL, Spreadopedia at Cold Hot Football Facts Insider is where you find that information. And if you want great fantasy football information, of course, go to ffchamps.com, a part of the football uh, football nation family. If you're into college football and college football fantasy, which is a great growing market, check out College Football Geek. Again, these are all part of the football nation family. And, uh, you know, we just try to, you know, obviously listen to you. Go back to it. Click our podcast link on Football Nation. And go back and listen to all the podcasts you guys do, like I said at the start of the segment. Uh, you know, Peter King, uh, you know, people like that, just real elite-level guys who, who kind of at the top of the game in football analysis. And I think you guys do a great job bringing out all the stuff that uh, uh, all the insight that they have and that they offer and that you can't get in a, in a lot of other places. Well, thanks for being on the show today, and thanks for not firing us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, you know what? Next time we'll, we'll plan ahead of time for some controversial – uh, maybe we'll behead somebody. I don't know. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll do something that'll really, really catch fire on the internet. All right, thanks, Kerry. All right, guys, have a good one. You, you too. All right, I want to thank Kerry J. Byrne for not firing us, as I said, <laughs> and for being on the podcast today. Uh, don't forget that you can find us at www.sports-casters.com. Been on a little bit of a break with the other show, but we're back later this week uh, with an episode featuring interviews with Brian Curtis, uh, Grant Wall, and Ray Greer, I think his name is, a guy who wrote a really cool book about the SEC. Uh, you can find that at www.sports-casters.com later in the week. Uh, also, you can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can find Football Nation on Twitter at FBallNation. Please email us if you'd like, the sportscasters at gmail.com. And uh, you can find our podcasts uh, on iTunes at Podomatic. And also by going to footballnation.com and clicking on the podcast link tab. Yep. Okay. At Scotty B34. Okay. Who didn't really have much biographical information <laughs> in his Twitter profile. So I don't know where he's from or anything. But he asks us this question What do you think about the Rams' backfield? Is Richardson the starter by the end of the year? I honestly don't watch a lot of Rams football, but the little bit I have watched, boy, does he look like the better of the two guys. Uh, maybe they're a little bit of a different player. He looks like to be a little bit of more flashy runner. Not that he's small. He's not exactly like a Reggie Bush or anything, but Steven Jackson, I think he finally had his first touchdown this week. Uh, it's just looking – and this wasn't – unpredictable. People called this a little bit. Uh, he's getting up there in age. Just the way he runs, it's got to take a toll on him. I mean, he's he's a tough guy, a uh, hard-nosed runner, and it's just tough to maintain that this long. And I don't know that – I think it's going to be the case if I had to guess of a 1A, 1B type thing. I don't think Richardson at any point totally takes it over, but I, I think they split carries. Well, I think what you have here is the Rams, as they – potentially fall further out of a playoff position, which I think is realistic for them. I don't think they're a playoff team yet. I think they're still a team that's building towards greater things in the future. They know that this is the last year that Steven Jackson is going to be a member of the Rams. His contract is up. They're not going to sign him again. He's not going to want to stay and rebuild there if he's got one, two years left. He's going to try to find a place where he can be uh like Ladanian Tomlinson did, go to the Jets, a chance right. to win, but not have to have 500 more carries or whatever. 
you look at it right now, Steven Jackson has 101 carries. He's only averaging 3.8 yards a carry. That's where he is right now. So the Rams are giving Daryl Richardson, who is not a guy they drafted thinking, okay, this guy is going to be the future of our team. I mean, he was drafted at Albany Christian College in the sixth round. I mean, it's not like Adrian Peterson, seventh overall from Oklahoma. Right. So I think they want to see what they have from this kid who's averaging 5.1 yards a carry uh, this season, which is great. Um, so to answer the question specifically, will Richardson be the starter at the end of the year? He'll have a chance to be. And going yeah. into next year, he's going to have the first opportunity because Steven Jackson's not going to be there. The Rams will evaluate Richardson. Okay, do we want him to be the running back of the future? Or are we going to draft another guy to bring him in to compete? Whatever the point is, is Steven Jackson is being phased out there. And as they the season goes on, Jackson's going to get less and less carries and Richardson's going to get more and more. Yeah, and I said Steven Jackson's getting up there in age. That's relative. He's 29 years old, so he's not an old guy by any means. But I would have he's guessed an, he's old, older. He's an old 29. He, he takes a pounding, yeah. So the way he runs, the shelf life, unfortunately, isn't long in the NFL. And He's been the featured back there for probably eight years. Since 2005, essentially. Yep, he had three starts in 2004 and then 15 in 2005. So eight years of featured back, tough running. Uh, and listen to this, 2005, he had 254 carries, 2006, 346, 2007, 237. Yeah, he wasn't sharing. This isn't, no. This isn't a Fred Jackson, C.J. Spiller, or Darren Sproles, Pierre Thomas, slash Mark Ingram. I mean, this is an old school running back. Let's so. say this is his last season in St. Louis. He ends up with... 800 yards rushing and four TDs. And he plays two more seasons doing about the same thing somewhere else. Is he a Hall of Famer? I'd have to look at his numbers because I would have not guessed Curtis Martin was, but I mean, clearly he was. Uh, Seven straight thousand yard seasons is where he's at right now. Probably, he'd probably be pretty close. If he's not in, he's probably pretty close. 4.2 yards per carry isn't great. It's, it's, it's above that four yards of carry number, but his best season, which is an unbelievable season, was in two thousand six. Okay, listen to this: he had fifteen hundred yards rushing and thirteen touchdowns. He also had ninety receptions for wow. eight hundred yards and three more touchdowns. That's a Hall of Fame season for sure, for sure. Yeah, he's a little bit. He's a, a more active I, I, pass I would, receiver than I would have guessed. I'd probably say no to the Hall of Fame, but a great career. Sure. Yeah. So, all right. All right, one more thing. Uh, Phillip Rivers, and you're on a bye week, so I'm not going to beat you up too bad, but you've either got to lose the swagger or start winning something. You've been a pretty average quarterback throughout your career, uh, and you're always kind of a negative guy. Your division this year is up for the taking. We talked ad nauseum this podcast about how bad the AFC is in general. The wild card which, like I said, is usually one of the spots are already eaten up by Baltimore or Pittsburgh. It looks like there might be two wild cards. So those are anybody's game. So you got to do something this year. You're 3-3, three and three, and you're not playing particularly well in a conference that just isn't that good. So make the playoffs and win a game or quiet down. Uh, nobody wants to see you yelling at your teammates on the sideline when you've been as average as you've been for your career. I'm not a Philip Rivers guy, but uh, it's time to step up. All right, one last thing for the podcast this week. I don't know if you've seen this last night, but Nadamik and Sue absolutely destroyed Jay Cutler. And when it happened, I said to myself, oh, yeah, Nadamik and Sue. <laughs> that was the guy from Nebraska that had 10 sacks as a rookie. And was supposed to be the next great defensive tackle in the NFL. But since his rookie season, he stomped on more people with his foot than he has impacted Detroit Lions games. He only had 26 tackles last year wow. and four sacks, 
which is considerably down from the numbers the previous year. He also hasn't forced a fumble or recovered a fumble or intercepted a pass since his rookie season. He's got three and a half sacks so far this year, which is well over his pace last year. So maybe he's coming alive a little bit. But Ndamukong Sue, I thought you were going to be the next Warren Sapp. I thought you were supposed to be a star in this league. It's put up or shut up time, buddy. Your attitude has been piss poor. You've gotten in trouble off the field. You've gotten in trouble, trouble on the field. It's time to pick it up. You either are a superstar or you're not. Prove it. Spend my days with a woman 